now I get it. Now I understand that if I failed this course of instruction, like I'm a two-time failure in the army when it comes to getting a new job. And like, that's not a good look. And I was keenly aware of that, even though I was only 21. And so I really, you know, buckled down, studied, did everything I was told, stayed in good shape. Um, I think that's the point where I started listening, right? You know, I think every young soldier thinks they know everything. Yeah. I definitely thought that I knew everything. And so that was the point where I was like, oh man, I got to get it together or like, this isn't going to go well for me. Welcome back to another episode of Insightful Inquiries. This month, we welcome Mike Villahermosa to the podcast. Mike is an explosive ordnance disposal technician who has been in the Army for 15 years. During that time, he has served as both an enlisted soldier and commissioned officer. Mike uses the handle EOD Happy Captain on X, where he uses the platform to discuss his story in the Army and to raise awareness on mental health. In this episode, we're diving into the current state of the United States Army. We'll chat about leadership, mental health, and even military movies. From what makes a great leader in the military to the challenges troops face with mental health, we're covering it all. Plus, we'll discuss how military life is portrayed on the big screen and its impact on public perception. So join us for a laid-back but insightful conversation. All right. Welcome, Mike, the happy captain, to the podcast. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, this is going to be fun. A lot of fun. I I just love your banter back and forth on X slash Twitter, whatever we're going to call it. But you have some fun times, uh, especially with, you know, I think, who is it? Is it Chris Ritter? Yeah, yeah, with, with Chuck Ritter. Chuck Ritter, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah, that was a fun he's time. People, he's good people, and he's he's fun to joke around with back and forth. Yeah, I think we lose some of that within the the Twitter landscape, where you know a sarcastic guy like me would maybe post something and get a lot of crap for it because it's sarcastic. But you can't just you know sarcasm doesn't come through on Twitter all too often. So it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a problem with the tone, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I have that in real life on my own audio. <laughs> I have I have a good buddy of mine that I worked with that one day he just told me, dude, I don't know when you're joking or when you're serious, so can you please caveat this stuff? Yeah, but those are the funniest people, right? Yes, yeah. That's what I like to say. But uh, like I was saying, thank, thanks for coming on the podcast, and I just want to give you a few minutes to introduce who you are to uh, to our audience and uh, let them know which, what you've been doing and, and what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Mike Beardermosa. I joined the Army in 2008, so we're working on, on year 16 right now. Uh, you know, came in because I don't really know what else I wanted to do. Come from a military family. I was going to community college, and uh, to be quite frank, I was failing out. It just, I wasn't doing anything that particularly interested me. Uh, I came in as a Special Forces candidate, so on an 18 X-ray contract, and that also uh, did not go well for me for the adversity there at the beginning of my career. But, you know, one of the instructors out there said, hey, what do you know about uh, EOD? And I was like, I have no idea what that even stands for. And he's like, well, it's not it's not this. Right. But it's something else that, you know, people work in the specialized small communities with, uh, which is what it interested me originally in the 18 X-ray program and being, you know, uh, an 18th series. So, you know, went to school and uh, yeah, I loved it. Like immediately loved it. I mean. Uh, graduated EOD school in July of 2010 and then deployed like the beginning of August 2010, right? So I had about 30 <laughs> days out of unit before I went to Afghanistan during the surge. And you know, it kind of shaped and developed who I was, really learned a lot over there. Had a great team leader who, by all accounts, kept me alive till I figured out what I was doing. And, uh, you know, uh, in 2018, I commissioned through the Army Green to Gold program. So that was a great experience. Went back to college for two years, was an ROTC cadet, and uh, was stationed in Germany initially. And I currently work at Naval School Explosive Ordnance Disposal, where I'm a company commander in charge of students going through training. Wow. What, I mean, what a background. What an incredible, so far, military career. And uh, I would like to get into, because I talk a lot about, you know, success through failure. And sometimes, if I say sometimes, but every time for me personally, you know, I I was pretty much the same way. Like in high school, I was just going through the motions, an average student. I I knew my senior year I needed to do something to get 
to, to get my life in order. And, you know, that coincided with 9-11 of 2001. And I, I joined up. And it, it, I still say to this day, it, it changed my life for the better. So I'd like to, to get your thoughts on that sort of, you know, your, you would say meandering through college, just trying to get yeah. through it. I mean, you know, I was never a good student, right? I, I just, you know, we hear a lot about people that they don't apply themselves in school. That was me. You know, I went to school. I had a good time. I had a good, you know, social network of friends in high school and in college, but I just didn't know what I want to do. And so when I joined the army, the intent was always, hey, I'm going to do three years and I'm going to get out, right? They'll give me some type of foundation. They'll give me a GI bill. You know, I was going to community college and failing out. So it's not like I was going to get a scholarship, right? To right. any other prestigious school. And so, you know, I did I did my, my first three-year obligation, deployed to Afghanistan, and we were in the train up for the second rotation from the second deployment uh, in 2013. And I've told this story a couple of times on on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it. But, you know, effectively, my first hour came down and they were building the deployment roster. And he said, hey, man, you don't have enough time. You're not going. And I said, what do you mean I'm not going? <laughs> right. And I said, give me the paperwork. And I signed up. There you go. Right. I, I reenlisted to go deploy again. And that was kind of the point where I realized. You know, I was I was this guy that was doing short reenlistments, right? Like I'm not sure if I want to do this, I'll reenlist for two years. You know, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you look at it mathematically with a reenlistment, it restarts your time, right? So I was really only adding a year on them. Like, um, and I did that a couple times until I decided that, okay, you know, this is the gig for me, right? When we talk about adversity, I mean, you know, look, I didn't I didn't make it to the 18 series program. That was probably my first real adversity in a career in my adult life because up until then I'm not really sure what I had done that was of consequence you know I was in college I was waiting tables I was working at Starbucks and all those things play a role in, in develop you as, as a person you know those those jobs in you know hospitality probably made me a better public speaker better at talking to strangers and, and those things do matter but as far as doing something of consequence at the time I didn't feel like I had it right. The military was the first job where I felt like I was doing something that that honestly mattered. And so hitting that first bit of adversity, not making it through selection, that hurt, that stung. I mean, I, I took like, you know, 20 days of leave, right? After I didn't make it through the program and kind of reset my brain and figure out what I was doing. Yeah, how was that? I mean, not to get too thick into the weeds on that, but how was that feeling? Because you, you just said you took... 20 days of leave. I mean, what was, what were those 20 days like? Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting, right? I mean, so here you go. Like, uh, I was part of a pilot program. So when I came in as an 18 x-ray in 2018, there was a lot of 18 x-rays coming in. So the army effectively built this program where you went to basic training with the same people. You went to jump school with the same people. You went to pre-selection with the same people, which is about a month, you know, just getting, uh, beat down. Right. But right. also learning getting in better physical shape and you would have select you with the same people. So we're talking a year and a half that I'd spent with the same collective group of individuals and then kind of, you know, get told like, Hey, this isn't for you. So it's kind of like you've spent a year and a half and especially you got to look at it from the perspective of a young year and a half. Right. So like, I'm not, you know, now I'm 30, I'm about to be 36. Right. I was 20 years old when I joined the arm. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half is the majority of your adult life. So you've, you've aimed towards this goal for a year and a half, 18 months. And then they say, Hey, by the way, thanks for playing. Uh, you're not what we're looking for. That's rough, right? I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a hard reality pill to swallow. And so, you know, I took 20 days and I kind of figured out, look, I'm contracted in the military. Like I'm not, I'm not getting out of the army just because I didn't <laughs> make selection. That's not the way this game is played. So, you know, when they pulled me aside and they said, hey, do you want to go to EOD? I'll be quite frank. I didn't really know what that was. It's not something I've ever heard of. Um, I, you know, it was a small community at the time. We're still a small community. It was even smaller yeah. pre, pre-2010. Uh, and so I didn't know what it was. And so I'm like, here I am. I have two years left on a contract. Uh, if I go to a job that I hate, kind of screwed, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it was, you know, taking that 20 days of vacation time, went back, saw family, saw friends. 
Yeah, it's a humbling experience too, right? Because you've told everybody, hey, this is what I'm doing. And then you got to go back and look everybody in the eye and be like, uh, also, I did not make it through. Right. You know? uh, and it kind of kicks your kicks your plans in the, in the gut a little bit. Uh, I learned a lot from it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I you bet. Know? I bet. Well, you learned a lot about what EOD is. Uh, how was that conversation uh, when they're explaining it to you? Well, I mean, I thought it was cool, right? I mean, I was yeah. a 21-year-old kid at that time who was like, I got to go disarm bombs. You know, I don't think you really, I don't think your mortality hits you till you're in your 30s. It does you not. Know? I can guarantee you that. <laughs> so like in my early 20s, I was like, I get to go and work on improvised explosive devices and play with explosives. Cool. Which, by the way, I still think it's super cool. I don't want to get the wrong yeah. impression. I'm just saying at the time, I didn't really give the the consequences right of my actions any thought. No, I, I completely understand that. There there was a time, you know, I was deploying out. I was volunteering, you know, with uh, we were working, we were at JSOC and I was volunteering to go out. And I was places like Yemen and I was just walking the streets of Yemen at 2 a.m. in Sana'a. And yeah. that was 27, 28-year-old to me, just not a care in the world. Mortality does not, you know, mortality is not a thing. I'm 40 now. And so I look back at that going, what was I thinking? I just yeah, thought I was this cool dude. It's wild. I mean, in my early 20s, uh, I was immortal. And now, like, uh, I'm in my, I guess, late 30s. Now I'm 36. Yeah. That's what it's called, right? Jesus. Yep. Uh, and now it's like I go to sleep wrong and I wake up and I can't turn my head the right way. Oh, no. <laughs> I wake up and my back is has gone out. Pretty much. So, yeah. So you've, you've had that conversation. So I guess it was a good thing that you you had that conversation with someone at a young age. So it's exciting. It's it's I get to see these, you know, basically bombs explode from a distance. And, and I had a hand in doing that or diffusing a bomb. And I had a hand in doing that. Yeah, I mean, going through EOD school already as a, you know, selection failure is a little bit of added pressure where you're like, if I fail this school, I am technically a qualified 11 Bravo, because that's the basic I went through. And I'm going to show up to a line unit two years after I graduated, no experience, and oh, by the way, I failed two courses in the military. Like, that's not a good look, you know? Right. So it's, it's like, I better pass EOD school uh, or this isn't going to be ideal for me for the next couple of years. And so, you know, I really, I think that's the part in my life where I really buckled down and and gave it my all, right? Because I would love to say, I'm sure if you'd asked me at the time, I would have told you I gave selection everything I had in the tank. The thing is, is at that time, I didn't know what I had in the tank. You know, I've, I've never failed in my life, really. Uh, you know, I had a good upbringing. And so I had never, like, laid it all on the line. And so here I am in 18 series failure going to EOD school. And, like, now I get it. Now I understand that if I failed this course of instruction, like, I'm a two-time failure in the Army when it comes to getting a new job. And, like that's not a good look. And I was keenly aware of that, even though I was only 21. And so I really, you know, buckled down, studied, did everything I was told, stayed in good shape. Um, I think that's the point where I started listening, right? You know, I think every young soldier thinks they know everything. Yeah. I definitely thought that I knew everything. And so that was the point where I was like, oh man, I got to get it together or like, this isn't going to go well for me. Yeah. That, and it's so interesting because that, what you just said, I hear myself in my own brain saying that. And so many, the majority of people I talk to have said that. The the talking to my younger self, I thought I knew it all. I thought I had it all. And, and looking back, I realized I didn't know anything. So it seems like just yeah. some sort of human concept that we don't understand. Yeah, but I mean, I think also... That's what we want in our young soldiers, right? We want that drive and that zeal and that, you know, full of piss and vinegar where they go out there and they want to prove you wrong, right? I mean, they get after, you know, whatever job they're doing. They want to be the best because they're doing it because you said it's going to take, it's going to take five years, 10,000 hours for you to become a master of your craft. And they're like, no, I got it this week, man. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of want some of that in our younger soldiers. Uh, and at the same time, man, it motivates the hell out of me, you know, when I'm 
36 and right now I'm a company commander for a bunch of, you know, young soldiers and I watch them go out there and they do PT and I watch them go through EOD school. It makes you younger, right? To be around those people and it makes you want to do the same stuff they're doing. Yeah, I definitely think so. So going through that, so you you had that failure, then you got through the the EOD school. Now, even though you you failed at something, you are now a commander of an EOD unit, right? You yeah. have totally succeeded in your well, career. Sure. And but I think that's the cool part about being in the military, right? Is you don't get to rest on your laurels. You don't get to say, I did this and I did that. It's what are you gonna do next for the people around you, right? It's not a an egocentric, self-centered game. It's not the type of thing where I could be like, well, you know what? I've had a great 16 years. Technically, I can hang it up when I'm a captain. And so since I've already made it, uh, I'm done and everybody else can figure it out for themselves. Uh, that's not that's not the way we conduct business. And I know you know that. Um, but, you know, it just makes it, it makes it like there is a sense of comfort in knowing that I've had a very good career. I've done quite a bit in my career. You know, I've, I've done a lot as an EOD tech. What makes me motivated, like what motivates me is to now share that with this next young generation, right? When I sit down and I get to talk to all these lieutenants, because that's who I'm in charge of, I'm in charge of all the officers, uh, lieutenants going through school. Okay. Like I want them to hear about my failures because guess what they're going to have when they get to a unit? They're going to have a bunch of them. Right? Yeah. And to know that that's okay. Like we have designed, the army is designed in a way that when you're young in your career, you can fail. Now, you can't do anything illegal and moral and ethical, right? But like, it's set up so that when you're a young soldier, you can fall flat on your face. And as long as you're falling forward, you're okay. Yeah, I think that's what's so important about like the NCO Corps, right? Is as a, as a young soldier, you're you're pro- probably a private PFC, maybe maybe specialist if you got some college in, and you're you're not going to be an officer. And those NCOs can kind of buffer those failures and you fall flat but they're they're there to to pick you up it's something unique with the u.s military is that we have that what's uh what's sort of your leadership style you were enlisted before right and and then became an officer yeah so has has that changed from enlisted to officer so i mean it's definitely changed the thing is it's changed so gradually that uh the question is have i noticed it change you know i was enlisted for for 10 years um, during that time, you know, I was an EOD team member, EOD team leader, deployed a couple of times to Afghanistan, was directly in charge of, of soldiers and their well-being while deployed in a very kinetic environment. And so there was a lot of trust, but verify, you know, and I think that's, we hear that a lot in the military. I'm a very trusting leader, right? I do a better job now of verifying what I've asked for, you know, because there's nothing worse than, you know, I'll give you an example, going on an EOD mission, trusting that the truck has been loaded out with explosives and then getting out there and being like, we don't have what we thought we had. Right. So that, that trust but verify part is is essential. But, I, you know, look, I'm a very trusting leader. Uh, I could, I've probably yelled like three times in my career. <laughs> it's not my style. And then I think, you know, people hear about the military and if they're not involved in the military, if they just know from movies, there's a lot of yelling involved, and, and the the fact of the matter is, is every leader has their own style. So I'm not I'm not bashing those that yell, but what I'm saying is, like, if I do it, it comes off as disingenuous because that's just not who I am. Right. You know, I got I got other ways of making corrections and and mentoring and developing people. For me, part of my leadership style is is mentorship. It has to. Be. You know, I don't think that we get to complain about the next generation of soldiers if we don't want to have a hand in developing the next generation of soldiers. So that's one of the reasons I want to come to TRADOC. And like, I wanted to come to TRADOC. That was not, you know, I was very competitive for any assignment. Uh, I've been, I have had really good evaluations throughout my career. And so I could have pretty much gone wherever I wanted to, but I wanted to come to Force Generation. And I wanted to do that because in the Force, out in the Force Comp, Forces Command, you hear people be like, this next generation of soldier, you know, whatever it is, X, Y, and Z, they're not as good. They're lack discipline. And that was kind of the mindset that, well, how about you you go to TRADOC then, right? And, and actually see what's going on and, and go out there and see if you can make a difference. And what I found, by the way, is this next generation is in shape. They're smarter than I ever was. 
I mean, you talk about things like driving an EOD robot. I mean, they've been playing video games their whole life, right? Yeah. They picked that up instantly. Whereas me, it took me forever. Um, and it's just a different generation. I'm sure, you know, people 20 years ago complained about my generation, right? It's just oh, they, it is what it is. They 100% did because I, I remember, I remember people complaining as we're coming through basic training, you know, I was in basic training 22 years ago. That's, that's what I heard all the time. So this new generation. And then immediately after that was, you know, well, this new generation that's coming up, they've, they aren't being disciplined and they're, they're not going to do it. And that that's, I'm great. You, I'm glad you brought it up because I did want to ask you about that a little bit in that depending on what media sources you'll, you'll read, that's what you're seeing is that, oh, the army is struggling to recruit because the recruits are not there. The, this new generation doesn't like the country. They, they don't like the military and they're overweight, out of shape, and they can't do it. Um, and yeah, so you would listen, push back on that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Man, I watched yeah. a soldier run like, uh, an 11 minute, two mile the other day. Right. During wow. a PT test, you know, this is, and this is the new PT test, right? This isn't a three event test. I mean, they have deadlifted and done a ball throw, sprint, drag, carry, hand release, push ups. They've done a plank. I mean, they just done all sorts of stuff. And then they run two miles at the very end. And this guy ran an 11 minute two mile. So I don't think we get to say like this next generation is not in shape. Are there people that in this generation are not in shape? Sure. But yeah. the same goes for my generation and your generation as well. You know, they're in shape. They're incredibly intelligent. I think they ask a lot more questions. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. You know, they want to know the onus behind things. They want to know why we do things a certain way. And to be quite frank, I think that's okay. You know, uh, we have to build up that. The soldiers that I'm seeing come through EOD school are good soldiers and they would be good whether they were an EOD soldier or they were an infantry soldier. They'll succeed wherever they're at. And also, they would succeed in the civilian world if they decide to stay there. They made a conscious choice to come and join the army. Yeah, it's the it's the beauty of the U.S. military. It's an all volunteer army, so no one's no one's forcing you to go into it unless you're already there. And then, uh, like like you said, it's a contract. You got to fulfill that contract unless you have some medical issues. Yeah, but even you know, even with the when we talk about contract fulfillment, there's so much opportunity within the military. You know, it's like I joined, I didn't have a degree. I had some community college. I probably had, you know, like a 2.2 GPA, but it's like, okay, I used tuition assistance. I got my associates. I applied for the green and gold program and was selected. The army, you know, paid me to go to college for two years. And by the way, that time I did get a 4.0 at University of Albany in upstate New York, did ROTC, became an officer. It's like, I've had a really good life because of the army. I've had a really good career because of the army. And so I, I'm not sure if sometimes people think I'm just online, like trumpeting the army. Yeah. But the deal is, is that like, they've given me what I have, you know, like I'm married and I have a kid. And by the way, that pregnancy was completely covered yeah. by, by the military and by TRICARE, right? They pay me a basic allowance for housing and I live in a nice house, you know, I'm living, I'm, I'm living quite frankly the American dream, right? Right. You've, you've got everything, you've got the house, everything. And, and I have noticed this, especially with, with social media. And so, you know, when I was first in social, we didn't have social media. Uh, I think MySpace became a thing as I was gearing up for my first deployment, uh, to, to Iraq. And that's how you would, you would get in touch with people. But what I can remember early on was the, especially the army was Maybe it was because of my, because I'm Intel, so I have an Intel background. It's very secretive, very close hold. You know, you have your PAO, your public affairs officer who puts out the statements for the Army. And now what I'm seeing with social media, with your account, with an account like uh, Chowda Hill, who, you know, is, is in the Red Sea right now with the U.S. Navy. I don't know if you've ever interacted with uh, Mandatory Fund Day on Instagram or anything like that, but he's basically touting the same things that, that you are in sort of a, a hilarious way of just, you know, the army was good for me. There's a lot of things, but a lot of people complaining, but the army was good for me. Do you see social media being used in, in a good way amongst like your peers and those others that I've spoke about? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think social media 
it is what you make it. You know, we have people out there that are telling their stories. And, and I think that's what the military wants. I mean, in 2023, at the end of the year, Secretary of the Army, uh, then Chief of Staff McConville, Sergeant Major of the Army Grinston said, hey, we want soldiers out there telling their stories. And so we have people doing that. Mandatory Fun Day, you know, if you look at the Navy, Chowder Hill, there's a lot of good stories to be told. You know, I like to think that I have a decent story that is worth sharing. I'll be very honest. When I started social media, the intent was never to gain a following or to build a social media platform. There are people out there that want social media to be their career, right? I'm not one of those people. I don't think Mandatory Fun Day or Lord of Lips, you know, uh, I don't think they're those people either. Yeah. Soldiers first. And then they share their story on social media. And as a result, because their story is genuine, people listen to it. So I do think that social media, it's the medium where the next generation is. It's the water cooler of our generation. Something happens to you, you go on social media. You put it on, you know, for the older folks, you put that on Facebook. For the new generation, you go, you make a TikTok video, you put it on Instagram. Uh, And if you know you're an elder millennial, uh, you put it on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's that seems to be what it is. Or so what we call it is like Instagram Reels. That's for us. We call it old people TikTok. Yeah, uh, two weeks after it's on TikTok, it's on Reels. That's right. You know, uh, and then like you know, two years later, it's on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> it's the medium is what you make it, right? And so the algorithm, and I can only really speak to X and Twitter, but. It is what you make it. So I put a lot of positive stuff out there and I talk about the military a lot. And as a result, what I see is a lot of positive stuff in the military. When I do my stuff, they're my thoughts. It's kind of like journaling. And I'm really bad at journaling, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get good at it. It's just something I I, I just can't do it, right? I can't find the time to sit down every night and write my thoughts out. But what I can do is write 180 characters or sometimes a little bit longer, you know, quickly in the moment on my thoughts. I never thought that that would have an impact on other people. I always thought that, you know, my posts would be a repository of my thoughts that one day my kid could go look at it and be like, this was what my dad thought about at this given time. But what I found is, you know, I talk about stuff like let soldiers take their leave, let, you know, make sure there's not a quote on awards. Why are we not giving out more awards? Right. And what I found is, people agree with that stuff, right? And that's kind of the basic stuff, but they agree with it. And then I hear their stories, you know? And so then it turns into a discussion and a dialogue. And and I'll tell you one of the most rewarding things is when I have someone who's not in the military who reaches out to me via direct message and says, hey, I really like your content. I'm going to go talk to a recruiter. Like that was never the goal of what I was doing. But we only get to see negative stories of what is what it feels like. It's like you go to the dining facility and you have a hundred great meals and you don't say anything about it. But that one time, you know, you get raw chicken, you make a, a post about it and it goes on army WTF moments and you know, it goes viral and, and there's a whole bunch of blowback from it. And so we have to remember when we talk about things like the army, army Reddit page, which is not an official page, army WTFs. There is a huge population of people that look at that on social media that are not in the military. And by the way, Army WTFs also puts out a ton of great stuff, right? Like they give praise to good leaders. They do great work, right? But the population that's looking at it is not just military. And so all they see is the negative, the negative, the negative, then why would they go talk to a recruiter? So, you know, it is very humbling when someone reaches out to me via direct message and says, hey, I'm going to talk to a recruiter or even better, you know, I just got a message from somebody, hey, I'm, I'm shipping out to basic right now. I'll let you that, know when I'm done. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's what attracted me to your account and why I started following because it was positive and we were just inundated with negative and it's not even just in the military. I, I think there's like 70% of, of Twitter or X that is just negative and and that seems to be what goes viral there because people love to to argue back and forth. So it is refreshing to see these accounts that are just you know, all the accounts that we mentioned that are very positive accounts. And yeah. they they see their military career as a positive thing. Yeah, 100%. And then the thing to remember with all of us, 
right, is we go through adversity too. Like we have career challenges. The secret is, is how do we have those discussions in a constructive way? Because not every post that I make is championing the army. I think we're a great organization. I really do. Uh, I cannot think of an organization that I would rather be a part of. That's not to say that we don't have issues in the organization. Uh, every organization has their issues, right? The question becomes, how do we have a conversation in a constructive environment where we can, you know, put out the negative and, and say, how do we fix this? Because it's too easy to take a photo of something, post it online and say, this place sucks. And by the way, you'll probably get some engagement by doing that. But like, what is the end state that you're after? If the end state is attention, then okay, you get it, right? But if the end state is to make things better for the next group of people, you didn't meet the mark there. Yeah, one 100%. And I think a lot of that has to do with sort of this this mental health crisis that is prevalent. And I don't think it's just in the military, but it is extremely prevalent in the military. I've dealt with it myself. You've kind of championed getting mental health advice from people through through X. So I'd love to get some of your thoughts, um, especially if you wanted to talk to how the Army's doing now with the, the sort of mental health crisis that we're seeing. So I would say we've turned a page, right? You know, the military is a slow moving machine when it comes to, to making substantial organizational change. Everybody knows that it's a big organization. When I came in in 2008, you know, and after my 2010-11 deployment, behavioral health was kind of a dirty word, right? Yeah. And you didn't do that. You figured out a way to deal with your problems on your own and you need to be ready for the next deployment. It was just this deployment cycle. You deploy for a year, you come back for a year, you deploy for a year, and that was the name of the game. And so everyone was terrified that if I go see behavioral health, they're going to say, I can't go back with the guys for the next rotation. Um, and as a result, that's a, you know, I understand why people were doing that. But when you take a bunch of young 20 year olds and you say, hey, I need you to bottle it up, you have all sorts of issues that that are a byproduct of that, right? Starting to drink heavily, domestic violence, you know, going out to yep. bars and getting into bar fights. Uh, there's some issues, right? And so in the last like really 10 years, the military's made a huge switch over saying it is okay to get that help. And a lot of that came from our senior leaders up at the very top. You know, Sergeant Major of the Army retired Grinston was a big one who really trumpeted uh, behavioral health. You know, he had a, he had a comment and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. Right. But effectively, if we're willing to do maintenance on our bodies to do PT and we'll, we're willing to do maintenance on a vehicle, uh, why are we not willing to do maintenance on our brains? It's a valid point. Right. And so I think behavioral health now is something that, you know, is not as big of a deal on the fact that it's not going to ruin careers. Now, is it possible that going to behavioral health could have consequences in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Not career ending, right? Right. The Army might say, hey, we're not going to PCS you to this location or put you on these types of orders based on you going there, but that's not a permanent thing. That's a temporary thing. I will tell you that I was in behavioral health for over eight months, you know, and when I got there, I was very skeptical. I saw a lot of that, you know, stigma in the back of my mind that if I go here, my career is going to be over. But at the same time, it made me a better leader, made me a better soldier, made me a better husband, made me a better father. Um, and I'm really happy I did it. And guess what? That was a year ago. No career impacts. I'm in command. Right. I'm in charge of soldiers. Like, <laughs> you know, command's always going to play a huge role in that. But I, what I would tell you is, is as this next generation grows up and moves up in the force, I think what we're going to see is that all the stigma goes away for the most part. Um, we have senior leaders who champion it. We have company level leaders who champion it. And it just like, why wouldn't you want to do maintenance on yourself? Why wouldn't you want to be the best version of yourself that you can be, not only for your soldiers, but for your friends and family as well? Yeah. And, and what I like to tell people is, yeah, it's probably going to change your career, but it's going to change it in a good way. Uh, just like Just like you said, it made you a better leader. You know, that is going to impact your career in a good way. And it's actually it's going to impact other people. And, and you've been doing that, you know, like you said, being at TRADOC and, and helping these fresh lieutenants uh, as they're going through it. That is impacting the military in a good way and the future force. Yeah. You know, when I have a soldier who comes to me now with a problem, 
it, it, it helps me frame things, right? It's maybe they're going through something that I don't think is a problem, but guess what? I'm a decade older than them with a little bit more life experience. And so understanding that just because it doesn't seem like a problem to me does not mean that it's not a problem to them. And how big of a problem could it be to them? So to be able to sit them down and say, you know, hey, look, I've, I've been through some of this before. And then I think, you know, explain to younger soldiers that their leaders at all levels are just people too, right? We've been through the same type of relationship issues. We've had the same career setbacks that they may think are unique to them, you know, and, and the circumstances are always going to vary, right? But the overall concept of we've had adversity in our careers, in our relationships, we PCS'd a lot, you know, the movers have broken our stuff. Um, yeah. We understand that stuff as well. And so just kind of humanizing leaders to junior soldiers, I think, is also important. Yeah, I think, and I think that works in the civilian world as well. You know, we we champion a lot of these leaders, and then the moment they have a misstep or, or something happens because they may be going through a mental health crisis or they're having their own internal crises, we we cut them off and we don't give them the grace to come back from that, which I think I honestly think the army does a very good job of if you make a mistake. Yeah, you'll get a counseling, but we're giving you this counseling because we want you to improve and, and you need to improve on that. So there's not many other jobs that take the time to develop and mentor their people the way the military does. And, you know, I've heard the comments on on social media, well, I don't have a mentor. And yes, you should definitely get one. Uh, and if you're not mentoring somebody, you should find a mentee. But also the military is developed in such a way that you may not realize you're getting mentored and developed, but you 100% are. When it comes to young soldiers, you know, Hollywood has created this illusion that junior soldiers are in their 30s and 40s, and they're not. They're yeah. 18, 19, 20 years old, right? We give them a ton of responsibility. You know, they are responsible for the maintenance of everything that happens, right? From our, you know, our Abrams tanks to our aircraft carriers. Like, those are those are young people that are doing that stuff. Now, you know, they're supervised by by older people with with more experience, but we put a lot of pressure on junior service members. That is the way the system is designed and it works. But at the same time, we have to be prepared when that stress is a lot for those junior service members to afford them the grace and the opportunity to go see behavioral health and get seen and get taken care of uh, and come back to the force. Yeah, I just think it's wild that we ask 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you know, especially during the global war on terrorism, to to go out and kill people and yeah. just I mean, that, you're 18 years old you can't even like in our in the state that i'm in you can't buy cigarettes you cannot buy alcohol yeah we expect a ton out of people that join the military and that every person that joins the military whether they are a trigger puller or a logistician or a mechanic or a bulk fuel specialist like we trust them to a level that i don't think you see in the civilian world it's like, oh, hey, you're an 88 Mike. Here is this, you know, massive vehicle that in the civilian world you need your CDL to drive. We're going to send you through this course, and now you're going to drive, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel yeah. uh, across the desert, right? Um, and we trust them to do that. And you know what? They do a great job at it. I mean, every now and then there's going to be there's going to be an issue, and that'll always be the thing that makes the news. But I tell you what, these young service members are doing the hard work in the military and they do it so well that you don't even realize they're doing it right yeah and and i fall into that trap as well of saying oh this new generation like i said i'm 40 so i'm getting to the time where i can start just complaining about the the new generation coming up and just be that old man uh, i've got kids that are about to give me uh, grandkids pretty soon so that that's gonna be a good time for me to start complaining that's uh, in having to deal, because I, I still do work within the Department of Defense, and so I am dealing with some of these younger, some of these younger soldiers, these younger airmen. I, I go out to uh, to Red Flag and and help out the SEER specialists that are out in in Red Flag, and those guys are you know between twenty five and and thirty five, and I've never seen a group of people that love their job more than they do, and they just absolutely want to affect change and complete the mission. Well, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, 
the negative is what we get to see on social media and on the news because it sells newspapers. But these young service members are the ones that go out there every day and just straight up get after it. They crush the job. I mean, they are very good at what they do. And the thing is, is they love doing it. Soldiers like to do their jobs. And do they complain a lot? Yeah. That's like the God-given right of every <laughs> service member ever is to complain. I mean, I could give a soldier a bag of gold and they would complain about how much it weighs, right? Yeah. But that's just the nature of the beast. If your soldiers aren't complaining about something uh, and you don't know about it, they are complaining about something, but it's probably you right? Uh, because they don't think you're an approachable leader. And so that's the other thing, right, is when it comes to social media and we see some of these complaints on there, you know, we have to look and say, well, what is the causation? Is this a valid complaint? Is this an issue within the chain of command? But what you'll find for the most part is younger soldiers just want the mentorship and they want the, the ability to do their job. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree with that. And that just transcends generations. You know, uh, I don't know that there was a generation in the mili- in the U.S. military since World War II where pe- the, your soldiers just didn't do the job and, and get it done. Now, like you said, they'll complain. The, they will complain. The, pro- the, the issue with that is finding the right avenue to complain because if you can get somebody to just express how they're feeling and be an open mind and, and an open ear to those people, they actually get better they'll they'll actually their attitudes will improve their work ethic improves because at least they know it goes back to what you were talking about having a mentor right you you want to be complaining to your mentor and if you have a good leader have a good mentor that's going to affect you in a positive way and it's going to affect your career in a positive way yeah no mentorship is is massive to me it's it's an imperative right if we don't take the time to develop the next generation that we don't get a complaint about the next generation that's kind of the mm. rules that are unwritten uh, a lot of times when we see service members jump online you know onto social media generally what you'll find is to ask a question that they probably could have asked somebody in their command uh, but they may not have that mentorship development you know in place there. And so when they ask in an anonymous form, they can get an answer and, you know, go back to work and be all the wiser for it. But we owe that to people. We owe them their development. We owe them the hard stories. We owe them telling them about ourselves and our adversity so that they understand that it's normal to go through a hard time. Right. And so what would you tell? So if someone's listening here, high school student, maybe they're in college, much like yourself, and they're debating, well, I don't know if I want to join the military. You know, we've got China being aggressive with Taiwan. We've got Russia doing what they're doing. Um, we've got a U.S. military that could get involved in a lot of these conflicts. I am i don't know if I should join up. What What would be your suggestion to that person? I mean, my, my suggestion to that person would be, would be the same Right. No matter what's going on in the world, because there's always something going on in the world. It's just these are big things that we're seeing yeah. on the news. Yeah, but there's always something. Um, and my advice would be, why not try it out? Right. Why not do a couple of years? Why not? If you're you know hesitant about being active duty, why not join the reserves? Why not join the National Guard? Why not get some of these benefits? And when I say benefits, I'm not talking about tuition assistance. Right. I'm not talking about the GI Bill. I'm talking about the benefits in development and discipline and finding someone who is actually going to be invested in your future. Because when I was in college, you know, like you can go get a job and that's great. But the point of the job is for the corporation. You punch in, you punch out, you get your paycheck. Yes, you get left alone in your free time, but also no one really cares about you, right? I mean, you were just a cog in the machine. Here in the military, it's like, it's, you know, people will, will hear about the family and the brotherhood. I have a group chat going with my platoon from when I was a platoon leader in Kosovo four years ago. We are all over the place now. I got people that have ETS out of the military in that platoon. I got people that have promoted, uh, one's going to OCS. They're, they're all over the place, right? They're all over the world now. That group chat is still active, right? It is still a place of mentorship and development and telling jokes and hey, my wife's pregnant, I'm about to have a kid, and then people send diapers. I mean, like, show me another organization where you get that. 
where where someone is invested in not only you, but invested in your family. So if I was going to say, you know, if I was to have a conversation uh, with someone in high school or in college, why not? Like, why not do it when you're when you're young? And if it's something you're thinking about, is it the type of thing that when you're in your 40s and you no longer meet the age requirement to join, that you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I had done that. Yeah, I really wish I had done that. I'll be honest, when I joined the army, it was never to do 20 years. Now I'm at 16. That's that's where we're trending, right? I'm going to do 20 and I will probably do more. I love this job. But there is no requirement when you come in to do 20 years. Like, you know, as a matter of fact, if you'd asked me, I'd been like, absolutely, there's no way in hell yeah. I'm doing 20 years. But here I am because, and I'm here because of the people and I like the job. So yeah, I would tell my story is what I'd do. Yeah, and, and I'd also add that if you get in and you get into your job, you get to your unit and you don't like the job, there is a way to get into a new job and you can do your your first four years. And that's something that, that I did. I, you know, I came in as a geospatial intelligence analyst and there just wasn't much use for it while, while I was deployed and stuff like that. And drones were starting to become a thing. And, uh, and I said, well, I could get out, do my first, you know, do six years in the army, get out. Or if they would let me, I can go learn a language, become a crypto, cryptological linguist, have that language, you know, have an associate's degree without ever going to college. Right. Right. And I, I told my unit and I said, this is what I want to do. And I had good leadership that allowed that to happen. You know, uh, my brother has been in the army now for 22 years. Um, he came in at 18, you know, no, no college, no nothing, uh, now has a master's degree. Uh, he's now an officer. He's now a doctor. He's doing his neurosurgery residency. Like my brother is going to be in a couple of years, a full fledged brain surgeon, right? The military paid for all that. Yeah. I was like, going to say at what cost to him? Because yeah. And, and, financially and it was him. And so I, you know, this goes back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier. It's not just trigger pullers in the army, which is what Hollywood, you know, shows because like, you know, that's the cool, sexy stuff. Right. But like you want to be a doctor, you want to go be a pilot, you know, you want to work in a lab and be a lab technician. You like animals and you want to be a veterinarian like you can do this stuff in the army. Not only can you do this stuff in the army or in the military, they will pay for it at zero cost to you. And then you can either decide to stay in or you can get out. Like there's no real, the only thing that you lose is you come in the army on a three-year contract, absolutely hate it. And you lose, you know, three years, which in the grand scheme of things, as I get older, you're definitely going to get something out of it, right? You will 100% get something out of it. But the army is also, for those that are listening, what you make it, you know, if you want to come in for three years and just do your job and do the bare minimum, we're happy to have you right? Thank you for serving like 100%. And that's fine too, right? But if you want to progress, there there really is no limit as to what you can accomplish in this organization. Yeah. As long as you, you put the effort. Now you've, you've talked about Hollywood twice. And, and so in my career, my job was more like office space than it was like, you know, the outpost. <laughs> right. It's just a bunch of mundane tasks in an office and a bunch of goofy people doing goofy things. So what I wanted to ask you, because my wife loves watching military movies with me because I I get sometimes angry, depending on how much I've been drinking, I'll get pissed off. Um, How do you, how do you watch a military style movie like, you know, the Hurt Locker, something that is definitely 100, well, it's a hundred percent about the work that you do. Yeah. Look, you know, we have to realize that what is what is the end state with that movie? You know, is everything in the Hurt Locker 100% accurate? And absolutely not. Not even a little bit, not even close, right? But is it a cool movie? Like, yeah, it's not bad. It's not my favorite, despite what I may say on Twitter <laughs> and X, that is not the best war movie out there. Um, you do a good job because I believed it. Yeah, I sorry to maybe just, that was your bit. <laughs> I think I've only seen it twice, to be honest. <laughs> but what I will tell you is that it got a generation of people interested in a job that they had no idea that existed. And now when I tell people I'm an explosive ordnance disposal technician or army bomb squad, they're like, oh, like the Hurt Locker. 
And as much as that may irk me in my soul, because it's not actually like that, there is a lot of utility to that to be like, yeah, like the Hurt Locker. Like, yes, I have put on a bomb suit. I have gone and I have dug, you know, IEDs out of the ground. You know, have I engaged in a Barrett sniper battle, you know, from two miles away? No, <laughs> but whatever, right? If it if it gets people interested in the military and it gets people interested in a job within the military, then that is a good thing, right? Um, I think, you know, if I had to pick the best war movie out there that I enjoy the most that I will go back to and watch, uh, Black Hawk Down, I think is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. That's usually the one that I go back to if I'm watching a show, something like Generation Kills is is pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, for me it was what I what I brought up, the outpost. Having mm-hmm. been in that situation in Afghanistan at a, a remote outpost. There's just that scene where he flies in that night, he's coming to the new unit, and the next morning he wakes up and he sees the bowl that they're in. Yeah. With the mountains there. And it's like I have definitely been in that situation coming out of, of a tent. And looking up the next morning and going, oh, we might be screwed, guys. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and I think it, it is hard for me to watch movies about the global war on terror, right? Especially about mm-hmm. Afghanistan, because I spent a lot of time over there. And so, you know, I'll sit there and I'll try to enjoy the movie, but I will pick up all the nuances and all the things that are that are wrong with it. And so instead of just sitting there and enjoying it, I can't really do that. When it comes to movies that are based in Iraq, I never went, right? I'm, a, I'm in Afghanistan through and through. So like, I don't notice that stuff as much, but when I sit there with my buddies and they watch it, they have the same, you know, response that I have uh, to, to the Afghanistan movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, I think my kids and my, my wife, I said my wife likes to watch it because she likes to hear me yelling at the, the TV, but what I think they enjoy is I don't usually talk about my deployments and the things I did while I was deployed for, for various reasons. Some I still can't talk about in public. But when we're watching these movies, the way my personality works is it triggers something in my brain. And if I'm I'm good enough and relaxed enough, I can start talking through that. And so they'll it'll be a you know, two hour movie turns into a five hour movie slash conversation of pausing and just like you talked about, go through the nuances of, yeah, no, it's not like this, but this is what we did. Yeah. I mean that's that's what we need, right? We need people to tell their stories. We need people to tell their stories to their families and to their friends. And by the way, this comes back to that behavioral health conversation we were having earlier, right? Like that has helped me open up about certain things and and tear down some walls. Now there's always going to be some walls there, but it has allowed me to have some conversations that I probably would not have had, uh, had I not gone through behavioral health. Right. So you know, we need to have those stories and we have those stories with average everyday American citizens who don't have a connection to the military to explain what we've been through, what we've done, how it's benefited us or how it's, you know, adversely affected us because that happens as well. But those conversations are imperative to have. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I'm I'm glad you said that because that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is to bring on voices like yourself, positive, making positive impacts in the world to to tell those stories and to kind of, you know, kind of sift through the fog of war of the complaining that kind of goes on so that we have a, a fresh, positive voice to this, the new generation that's that's coming up that, you know, the military could impact them in a very positive way if depending on what they put into it. Yeah, I, I will tell you that the military has been absolutely fantastic for me and my family, right? And I mean, it's just, I don't I don't worry about things that I worried about when I was younger. I don't worry about, am I going to have enough money to fill up the gas tank? I don't worry if I'm going to have enough money to go to the grocery store. Uh, I don't worry that I'm not going to have someone to talk to because after 16 years in the military, I can pick up my phone and pretty much call anybody that I've served with whether I haven't talked to them in a year or a month or a week, I can pick up that phone and we're going to have a conversation that's going to last an hour like nothing ever changed, right? I have a network of friends. I have a network of people that genuinely, honestly care about me. Yeah, and it's such a diverse uh, network of people. Like you're not put into a platoon or a wing based off of you know your background or your culture or your race sex, creed, anything like that. You're put into a unit because 
that's where you're going. That's the needs of the, the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, the Navy. And you're going to have a diverse group of people. And that diverse group of people, I was just talking to to a group in Michigan and just telling them the same thing. Like, I would come from a small town in Louisiana. You know, I don't think I actually saw an Asian person in my small town. And I didn't see any cultural things until I got into the army and it changed my entire perspective on everything. Yeah. I mean, you realize that we're all just people, right? I mean, right. You, you go to a unit and you know, it's, it's every race, every gender it's, you know, it's people that have gone through the same thing that you're going to. You have people that join the military that come from rich families, right? They join because they want to join. You go through, you know, training with people that came from incredibly poor families and they're there because they wanted to join. And that is the common denominator, right? Is we're an all volunteer force. They all volunteered. They all volunteered for different reasons. But what you find out is those reasons become irrelevant. What matters is that they're there and they want to be part of the team and they want to be part of that collective. And this goes back to another comment that uh, I believe is true. Obviously, I'm saying it, so I think it's true, right? But people don't join the military to be shitbags. Like they, they don't do that, right? Exactly. Generally, when you have a soldier or a service member who is getting viewed that way, it's because somewhere along the line, someone failed them. They weren't mentored. They weren't developed. They weren't trained how to do their job properly. And they just don't know. Right. And if you can catch it early, those people tend to be phenomenal at their jobs because you invested the time in them to make them better. And when you do that, when you empower people to do their jobs and to be good at their jobs, they will work harder for you. Right. Good leaders make all the difference in what soldiers are willing and not willing to do. So people often ask, like, how do I define leadership? Uh, leadership is not making people do things. Like the military allows me to make people do things based solely off of rank and authority. Like if I tell someone to do something that's in my chain of command and I'm a captain and I rank them, they're going to do it because they have to. But that's not what leadership is. Leadership is getting the people to do something they don't want to do and making them want to do it. Like, how do I convince you to do a job you don't want to do? And then when you're done with it, you're like, man, I, yeah, I'm happy I did that. Like, I really wanted to do that. That's leadership. So how do we get there with people? Yeah, that, I mean, words of wisdom, man. That, that is incredible because I had far too long, you know, early on in my military career, you talked about shit bags. And it was like, yeah, you, you had that. There was a time where I was a shit bag or I came off that way to some people. I had a first sergeant tell me, you know, you were the worst NCO I've ever met in my entire life. And it was because I was doing things for my troops. I was a platoon leader. I was doing things for for them and not for the the command. I was just trying to progress their career and not what the what the command wanted. But, you know, he said it and I think, yes, I was at that time probably pretty bad. But had I had a leader like you that took me aside and said, I see what you're doing. Let's let's try to do this in a better way. Let's lead in a better way. It probably would have done a lot better for my military career than how everything ended out. Um, I, I probably could have retired and, and stayed in, um, but I didn't have that proper leadership. I had at some points, but so I, I appreciate you for saying that. And I also appreciate you for, for coming on and, and talking through this and giving us some of your time. I know you've got the, you got a family, you got a little kid. Yeah, no, hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's always, you know, uh, I love being able to, to talk my piece and hopefully someone hears it and says, hey, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to go to behavioral health or today's the day I'm going to reach out to a buddy I haven't talked to in a year or today's the day that... I'm going to go see if this person that I look up to will be my mentor, right? Like right. if one person does that after listening to this, then this is an enormous success to me. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, with that said, how can people you know, get in touch with Where can they find you on social media? 
Yeah, absolutely. So on on Twitter or X, it's at EOD Happy Captain. Um, I answer every single message that gets sent to me, unless it's spam, right? <laughs> uh, I will I will answer your questions. I will get back to you. I'm also on Instagram under the same handle. And so, yeah, absolutely. If you're listening and you have a question, please reach out. I will answer it. And if you want to come join the best job in the Army, EOD, I can help you get there as well. Awesome. That's that's great stuff, guys. Definitely reach out to him. I I can attest he will answer all your questions, even if you have some dumb ones or, or if you're just asking for some help. Hey, Mike, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate this conversation. Hey, man, thank you for having me.